Our text for today is from Psalm 126. The second hymn that we sang together is taken directly from it, and so a lot of this will sound familiar. It'll be uh, up above me for you. It'll be in your bulletin on page 10. Follow along with me if you would. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good afternoon. As Mark said, my name is Josh Anderson. I pastor Colleyville Presbyterian Church just down the road, and I bring you greetings from your brothers and sisters in Christ at Colleyville Pres. Um, it's wonderful to um, have the bond that we have in our Lord Jesus and also as sister churches in the North Texas Presbytery. Um, for the past five or six years, one of the great joys of my life has been a monthly lunch that Brian Davis and I have shared um, together as we get together, just the two of us, to share about our lives and our ministries and our families and everything that goes on um, in a pastor's life. It's been a, a, a safe place for both of us to share friendship, to share um, things that are in our hearts, and it's, it's bound us together in friendship. I'm so grateful for your pastor. He is a faithful and good man. I can testify to that myself, and I'm so um, excited and thrilled. We've been talking about this possibility of a sabbatical for uh, several years. Um, he and I have been discussing it. Um, I was fortunate enough to go last summer away for three months for my church, and it was the best three months of my life, um, and I hope and pray that the same is true for Brian and for Jeanette and their kids as well. So it's a privilege to be with you here and this morning as we open God's word together. Um, I know we just read Psalm 126, but I'm going to read it again. It's short and it's a good um, psalm just to kind of get in our minds as we uh, move into it. So listen again now to God's holy inerrant word from Psalm 126. A song of ascents. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Thus far, the reading of God's word, it is absolutely true, and it is given to you, friend, because your Father in heaven loves you. Let me pray for us. Blessed Lord, who has caused all the holy scriptures to be written for our learning, Grant us now to hear this portion of your word and to read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest it, that we may embrace and evermore and evermore hold fast to the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in your Son, our Lord Jesus. Amen. Blessed are you who weep. Blessed are you who weep. 
Those are the words of our Lord to his disciples in Luke 6. And at first glance, they're strange words for us to hear. Aren't blessed people happy? Aren't they laughing? Aren't they enjoying fun dinner parties and vacations at the beach? Don't they have happy marriages and nice haircuts and pretty children and fulfilling work and good health? Isn't that what it means to be hashtag blessed? Isn't that it? But Jesus says, blessed are you who weep. Blessed are you who weep. And of course, Jesus didn't only teach the blessedness of weeping, of tears. He wept himself as well. John 11 tells us that when he saw the tears of Mary and the other Jews over the death of Lazarus, Jesus began to weep as well. Tears filled his eyes over his friend whom he loved, who was now dead. And Luke tells us that when Jesus went up to Jerusalem for the last time, he looked at that city and he wept, for he knew the judgment and the death and the suffering and the destruction that would soon fall on Jerusalem because of their rejection of him. I think Jesus weeping is an amazing thing to think about. The Son of God, eternally begotten, completely divine, co-equal with the Father in power and majesty, but now incarnate, and so fully human in every way, including his emotions and his emotional life, that the sorrow and pain in his heart well up within him and come out in tears running down his face. Blessed are you who weep, says Jesus Christ. I don't know what your relationship to weeping is like. Some of us cry more than we'd like to. Some of us haven't wept for years. And maybe we're not sure what that says about us in either direction. Or maybe we're secretly proud, those of us who don't cry, that we don't do it, that we don't engage in that kind of behavior. There's a, there's a deep uh, invulnerability that is inherent to shedding tears. We know this. Tears are public. Right? They're, they're literally on our face. We wear them there. If we're around other people, we can't hide it if we're crying. And sometimes we can't hide that we've been crying even after it's passed. I don't know about you, but I probably cry at least twice a week. It's just how I am. I don't know how any other way to live um, in this world. Um, in the fall of 2020, about a year and a half ago, I had a prisoner whom I loved deeply die suddenly. Um, he was a friend. Um, he was a man um, about my own age um, with four children, um, just as I have. And he died instantly, suddenly, in a car accident. And it just about broke me. In a lot of important ways, I would say I'm still broken by it now, actually. I'm, I'm confident that I will carry the scars of my friend's death for the rest of my life. But those first few months after his death, I was weeping all the time. right? Not just twice a week, but way more than that. I was, and it's interesting, I think, that we use language and metaphors like this to describe our state in these conditions. I was a mess. I was a wreck. 
And I was extra sensitive to the pain of others as well. Someone else would start crying in my office about something totally unrelated and, you know, boom, I was right there with them. Now, maybe some of you know what I'm talking about. Maybe you know what that experience is like. To have tears just follow you around day after day, week after week. If so, I would encourage you to remember the words of your Lord and Savior who taught his disciples saying, blessed are you who weep. Blessed are you who weep. Friends, everyone suffers. Everyone is carrying something. Most people, um, I've learned, carry an enormous amount of grief and sorrow, even if a lot of it is unacknowledged many times. As a pastor, I spend a lot of time with parishioners in my office, and on my coffee table, um, there's a box of tissues, and you know what that's for. I make sure to get a new one when the old one runs out, because when people talk to me, um, when they really start to open up their hearts, um, it's not infrequent for tears to be not far behind. And here's an interesting thing I've noticed. Do you know what men or women often tell me or say to me when they start crying in my office over their marriage or children or, or the death of someone they love or whatever it might be, right? When, when their pain or confusion or frustration overwhelms them so much that, that tears start coming down their face, do you know what they say when they reach for that tissue box for the first time? I bet you can guess if you think about it because it's probably something you have said when you found yourself crying in front of another person. I'm sorry, they say. I'm sorry. That's often what people say when they cry, even in front of their pastor, right? If there's anywhere you should be safe to cry, it should be in front of your pastor. And I, I get it. Crying in front of another person is an intimate thing. It's, it's risky, it can feel scary, but maybe, maybe I'm sorry isn't what we should say when we cry in front of another person, especially someone who loves us and doesn't mind at all. Maybe when the tears start falling down our face, we should start saying, you're welcome instead. You're welcome. I think that would take seriously the teaching of our Lord. Because according to him, tears are not a sign of weakness. They're not something to be embarrassed by. They're not something to cover up. Or not something to get past as quickly as we can. According to Jesus Christ, those who weep are blessed by God. That's what weeping means. And when we weep before others, we're inviting them into that blessedness with us. Our psalm this morning, Psalm 126, begins in verses 1 to 3 with the psalmist reflecting on the, the overwhelming faithfulness of God that was experienced in, in the past um, history of the people, some climatic event. The psalmist begins, he says, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Who dream, he says. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongues with shouts of joy. And they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for me. We are glad. Now the most likely explanation for this event was that the psalmist is describing perhaps the return of the tribes of Judah or the tribe of Judah from exile in Babylon. 
And if that's the case, it was a, a dramatic event indeed. Right? For 70 years, the, the people of Jerusalem had been in exile. Their homes had been destroyed. Their, their temple had been burned to ashes. Uh, many had died. They had been forcibly taken from their homeland and not allowed to return. But then the Lord restored their fortunes. And the psalmist says, on that day we were like those who dreamed. It was like a dream, the psalmist says. It was almost too good to be true. When the Babylonians started knocking at our doors and saying, you can go home now. It was an unlooked for blessing. It was outside of their imagining. Friends, this is resurrection language that is being used here by the psalmist. Do you remember how Luke describes the reaction of the apostles when they saw the Lord for the first time after his resurrection? Luke tells us they disbelieved. But do you know why they disbelieved, according to Luke? Was it because they doubted? They disbelieved for joy, it says. And they marveled. They were so overwhelmed by the goodness of seeing Jesus standing before them again, the one who had been crucified only three days before, that they thought at first it was a dream, that it must have been a dream. And in Acts 12, when Peter was released from prison by the angel, Luke tells us, Peter did not know what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. Beloved, this is what it's like to experience God's goodness and faithfulness in this world when we have eyes to see it. It's like a dream. It's like a vision. It's like something that, that comes out of another world. It's better than we could have imagined. Friends, there is a sense that in which every baptism Every participation in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, every Lord's Day worship service is supposed to be like this. It is the eschaton breaking into the now. It is God's love and presence coming in to our lives from the outside to show us what is really real. If only we have eyes to see. After recalling the overwhelming kindness of God in the past. In the first three verses, the psalmist then moves into the present in verse 4. And there here he is asking for God to do something. He's saying, do that again, like when we return from exile. Do that again. In many ways, that's what we do in our prayers today. We're saying, we look back rather to the resurrection of Jesus, and we say, do that again, God. Show up in my life now like that. The psalmist says, restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. You see, the, the streams in the Negev, they're like little waterways in the wilderness. Um, usually they'd be dry and arid, but there were these little tracks, right? And when the rain came, they would swell and, and gravity would pour the water down them and, and water would appear in the middle of the desert like a dream, like it was out of nowhere, right? Like an unexpected blessing. And the logic of the psalmist is simply this. He's saying, God, I know that you've been faithful in the past. When you restored our fortunes before, it was like a dream. It, was, it filled us with joy and laughter. And because of your faithfulness, because I know what you've done before in history, I'm asking you to do that again here now. Be faithful again in this situation. I need you to show up. And make those streams in the wilderness flow. But here's the question that verses 5 and 6 begin to explore. 
What is it like for us as we wait for God to do that? Because he often doesn't, not immediately at least. What is it like for us as we wait for him to restore our fortunes as he has done in the past? What is it like as we wait for God to heal our bodies of disease? As we wait for God to restore our lost and wandering children? As we wait for God to raise the dead? even the dead whom we love, who have gone away. What is it like to wait for God to fulfill all the promises he has made? And, and, and beloved, believe me, he has made a lot of promises. A lot of promises, many of which we have not yet tasted. I mean, you know what that's like, don't you? Right? That sense of waiting for God to do what he has promised. I mean, this is the great tension of our lives if we're going to be Christian people. That gap that exists between the now and the, the not yet, right? That gap that feels so pressing sometimes, so hard as we wait for God's goodness to overwhelm us again, just as the gospel promises it will. Now here's the challenge. It's often easy to try to circumvent that space, to, to cover it up, to pretend like it doesn't exist, you know, to navigate it in some way that it doesn't feel quite so acute. But, beloved, here's what I want you to see. According to the psalmist in Psalm 126, according to Jesus of Nazareth, that space of waiting for God to act in the present as he has done in the past and as he promised to do in the future it is holy space. You're not wasting time. You're not running out the clock. It's holy space. It's sacred space. It's blessed space, to use the words of Jesus. And one of the most profound ways that that space is made sacred and holy and blessed as we wait for the, for the not yet is in our tears. It's in our tears. Because, beloved, make no mistake, that's why we weep, ultimately. All of our sorrows connected to the reality that God hasn't yet done all the things that he says he will do. He hasn't yet made everything right. And the tears that we shed now in that space between the now and the not yet, as we wait for God to act, are a kind of deposit on future joy. Jesus doesn't always say, blessed are you who weep. He says, if you read that whole sentence, he says, blessed are you who weep now. Do you know why? For you will laugh, Jesus says. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Those tears are like seeds that go down into the earth. And God promises that they will bloom one day into joyful laughter. That's the promise of the gospel. Listen to verses 5 and 6 in our psalm. The psalmist says, those who sow in tears, you think about that image, right? It's a, it's a farmer um, going down his fields, but rather than planting seeds, he's planting tears, right? He's weeping as he goes. His, his, his tears go into the ground. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy, the psalmist says. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, 
shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Now, beloved, what I want you to see here is that these two verses are written to you as a promise. This is a promise in the Bible. These two verses, they're not a petition. They're not an aspiration. They're not something the psalmist hopes will possibly maybe be true. No, they are an ironclad promise given to you, friend, by the living God himself. The God who made you, the God who loves you, the God whose son came into the world and shed tears with you, this God is faithful today and he promises you this, that those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. That those who go out weeping, bearing seed for the sowing, will come home with shouts of joy, bringing sheaves with them. The living God promises that your tears will not be wasted, that they are gathered up by him, that they are preparing a harvest to come. Friends, I think what this psalm is doing for us is it's, it's inviting us to see our tears and, and behind that our sorrow and our grief and our sadness in a different way than maybe we're used to doing. Right? To, to see our, our tears and our sorrow and our grief not as weakness, not as failure of our emotional fortitude, not as despair, but to see our tears and our sorrow and our grief as holy practices that we partake of before God. To see those things as blessed, actually. To see our tears over this broken world as acts of faith. Because in our very bodies, when we weep, over sin and sorrow and death, we are bearing witness to the fact that the eschaton has not yet come and we are not yet satisfied. We are not yet content. And how can we be? You see, in our tears, we are actually embracing in an embodied way what it means to live in a world that is still characterized not only by the promises of God, but also by sin and disease and death. In our tears, we are entering into that holy place between the now and the not yet. We are expressing in our very flesh the reality that things are not as they should be right now. But also our longing and our hope and our conviction that one day, one day, they will be. Because, beloved, our tears will not last forever. They won't. One of the most precious promises of all the scriptures instructs us in that regard. Do you remember Revelation 21? There the apostle John, he sees the new heaven and the new earth. And he sees the holy city, the new Jerusalem. It's coming down from heaven as a bride adorned from her husband. And then he hears the voice of the husband of Jesus, the risen and glorified king seated on the throne. And Jesus says this, on that day, John says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is now with man. He shall dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away 
every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. This is what is waiting for us, beloved. This is why we weep. Not only because of the sadness of the world, but because of the beauty of the promise. And one day our tears, we believe, will be wiped away by none other than the hand of Jesus himself. One day our tears will come to an end. But for now, as we wait for the end of all things, which is a great description of the Christian life, those who wait for the end of all things, as you wait, friends, I invite you with the psalmist, with Jesus, to weep and not be ashamed, to not be embarrassed, to not say, I'm sorry, maybe even to say, you're welcome, to weep and to invite others into your sorrow, to weep at the brokenness of our world, not out of despair, but because you believe, you believe. You believe the promise is true. You believe that those who go out weeping will come home with shouts of joy. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, indeed we give you thanks for this psalm. We thank you for the precious promise. We thank you for the way that it encourages us to reevaluate even our relationship to grief and to tears. I pray, Father, um, for this congregation, I pray that this would be a community and a place that would be characterized by people who know that Jesus meant it when he said, blessed are you who weep. I pray this would be a congregation characterized not only by grief and sorrow, but also by hope. This would be a place where those things are held in tension as they walk together united to the one who demonstrates all of this for us, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.